Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to this episode nine, ninth edition of Mic Drop here on Colin, the uh, podcast platform that allows you to get some of your favorite podcasts on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to be talking today about the Latino apocalypse, Latinopolis, let me, how am I going to phrase this? The Latin apocalypse. I was struggling whether it should be a, a Latina apocalypse, a Latino apocalypse, or a Latinx apocalypse, but I think I decided on the Latino apocalypse. Um, of course, those of you following closely know what the Latinx apocalypse would all would would be all about. So, um, tons and tons and tons of polling today, guys. So I'm going to walk through some of this without hopefully boring too many folks. Um, as always, ask questions. <laughs> um, we always have a pretty big group, but it gets a little bit shy. Um, so if you want to just, uh, ask your question in the chat, feel free to do that. Um, but I would obviously love to have people kind of joining up on the queue, jumping up on stage and asking their questions. We do have a lot of regular followers who do that, um, fairly regularly and it makes for a good conversation. I do want to talk about the extraordinary amount of polling that came out today. And the first thing I want to say is, uh, we are in that time of the election cycle. A lot of things are going to start narrowing or at least traditionally start narrowing. There's a lot of movement still. And anybody who follows uh, kind of the work I do uh, and my explanation and my analysis knows that I'm still very much looking for movement. This is far, far, far more movement than we normally see at this election uh, time of the election cycle. And I want to talk about what that means and how the campaigns are adjusting some of the messages that I'm seeing that reflect the polling. And I think a couple of really curious anomalies uh, that Republicans especially are not adopting at this point in the election cycle. We'll see if that changes. Two major shifts just tweeted this out just a few moments ago. The first is the CNN polling that showed a 16 point drop, 16 point drop amongst seniors. Uh, away from Republicans in the generic ballot. This is extraordinary. 16-point drop since May amongst seniors. Only possible explanation from that is the January 6th hearings. And not to pat myself on the back too much, but if anybody has been following me, especially on, on Ron Steslow's Politicology pod back in January, um, as the a committee was assembling, I was saying this is going to be a refrigerator hum. It's going to be a slow drip, 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 kind of staying uh, in the minds of voters, at least close attention watchers throughout the course of the spring into the uh, early summer. And once these hearings are made public, they are absolutely going to have an effect on public opinion. Uh, that is what we are seeing. That is what is holding up the Democratic barricades in the generic ballot. Now, no question Roe Wade uh, being overturned has something to do with that. I'll talk about that in just a second. I'm also a believer that the Republicans uh, on the defensive as it relates to the uh, mass shootings in Uvalde specifically has something to do with that. But when all of the polling is showing a significant shift from the May time frame, especially amongst seniors, which are the demographic most likely to be at home during these daytime hearings and watching uh, the just brutal, brutal evidence uh, playing out, uh, you are seeing erosion in support 
uh, amongst that demographic. And this is a critical demographic for Republicans, by the way. Okay. Republicans have to significantly overperform with seniors, with older voters. And the reason why they have fallen in the generic ballot is because of this erosion with senior citizens. Now, how long is this going to last? I don't know. I don't know. But we'll, again, I'm looking for movement. That movement tells me that the base level of support, that base GOP level of support with senior citizens is softer than it should be at this point in time. Can the Republicans get it back? Of course they can. Will they get it back? I don't know. It depends on what kind of an offensive the Democrats run with all of the post-January 6th messaging. We should talk about that. If I don't come back to it before we end, somebody needs to throw that in the chat or remind me that's an important point. What does Democrat messaging look like beyond January 6th? Because, and again, I'm going to pat myself on the back again, January 6th is making a difference. I told you it was going to make a difference. It, I told you it was going to shift public opinion. A lot of people on Twitter, most people on Twitter were saying, nobody's watching, nobody cares, this stuff doesn't matter, it's not changing minds. That's nonsense. It's absolutely penetrating. You don't even have to be watching the January 6th hearings to get the collateral buzz, this echo chamber effect of people moving this around um, on social media. But also, um, you know, the, the continuing chat, the resonance chat that's happening on um, on the cable news shows and on the network shows, right? This is big stuff. This has never happened before in American history. So let's start, let's put that myth to bed, okay? Uh, as to whether or not this stuff is having an impact, it is having an impact. It's undeniably having an impact. You can't get a sixteen point shift amongst seniors on that. Uh, to, you, you can't have that that kind of a shift really with any demographic without a direct correlate line beginning literally at the same time frame as January 6th starts for that to happen. Maybe you say it's abortion, okay, with seniors. Uh, uh, look, I'm, I'm sure there's some of that in there, but that's not the demographic that has been motivated or that shows movement with the abortion issue, right? That's an 18 to 25-year-old particularly female issue, which is also consolidated, by the way, for the Democrats, okay? So that's item one. That is, And, that, and, and by the way, is, and I'm going to talk about Latinos now. I'm going to talk about Hispanics. You guys know I focus on this share of the electorate more than anything else, the Hispanic vote, but... Uh, the the numbers say the data say the most important demographic in this election is seniors more than Hispanics. In fact, I would argue it's actually white college educated women more than Hispanics because the math says there's more of them, and you got to follow the math. You got to follow the data. Okay, so while Hispanics are shifting like crazy, crazy right, we're going to get to that in a second. Numerically. The Republicans cannot withstand losing or hemorrhaging this kind of support amongst their base, uh, even as Democrats are hemorrhaging amongst their base. Let's flag that, too. Somebody else remind me to come back to this, this shift that is happening where Republicans are losing their base and Democrats are losing uh, their base to the opposite parties. This is a sign of a realignment. We'll talk about that in just a second, too. But bottom line is the numbers are bigger at the voting booth amongst uh, seniors 
It's also uh, bigger amongst college-educated Republican women, suburban women generally, Republicans specifically, than it is with Latinos, than it is with, with Hispanic voters. Okay, Hispanic voters are going to comprise in a presidential election cycle probably 15 16% of the vote. Uh, Republican women are going to be at least that, probably three, four points more. Seniors, significantly more. Okay, so just pure math, that's, that's the hierarchy of where you want to focus on. And when Republicans are losing their base at a faster rate than Democrats are losing theirs, that's what keeps the Democrats in play. Okay, and that's really, I think, what one of the really fascinating things I'm seeing in the polling and all of this movement is trying to discern which pieces are moving where and why and what does it mean. Biden's numbers remain atrocious. Okay, five polls came out today. He's sitting between a 33 percent approval rating and a 39 percent approval rating. They're all sitting in mid 30s range. These are historically low numbers. For a president of the United States of either party, I think Truman, literally Harry Truman, was the last president who tested this negatively at this point in his administration. You got to go back to black and white photos. You got to go back to to the olden days to 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 look at Gallup numbers when there was one poll that the country was watching to get these kind of low approval rating numbers. Now, having said that. A lot of these same polls are also showing Biden beating Trump in a head-to-head matchup. Okay, so what does that mean? You've got you've got Biden at historically low numbers, lower than anybody testing in 60, 70 years. But when you throw Trump up there, um, who's still you know his numbers have weakened too. We'll talk about Trump in a second, but. In a head-to-head matchup, Biden still uh, is outpolling uh, Trump in three out of the five polls. Okay, and the reason why I tweeted this out just a little bit too, as I mentioned, we were going to be jumping onto the phone here, onto the onto the call-in app here, is that that negative partisanship is something that the pundits and the analysts and the media either don't understand, which is the likeliest thing. And certainly do not talk about enough. Negative partisanship is the idea that people vote against things more than they vote for things. Okay, And many of you who follow me have heard me talk about this um, regularly because every time I'm looking at a campaign, what I'm looking at is is negatives. Negatives drive uh, mobilization. They drive turnout. And they drive shifts in public opinion to a far, far, far greater degree than positive support levels, than approval ratings. So I'm not going to say that approval ratings don't matter. They do. But at a time when so much is going wrong in so many different ways and people feel that the whole country, the whole whatever state you're in, whatever county you're in, whatever city you're in is all heading in the wrong direction – Approval ratings don't mean as much to me as the disapproval of the, the, the candidate or the issue or the party that you're running against. Very important concept, negative partisanship. Campaigns are about comparisons. We don't elect things or people in a vacuum. 
people may not like Joe Biden um, and, and Donald Trump may actually even have higher approval ratings on the aggregate. But when you have to make a choice, that's the most important metric to determine where people are most likely to come out. And it means Democrats may not be terribly supportive or like Joe Biden at this moment in time. And they don't, folks. They don't. The polling is showing that. Democrats are not happy with their own president at this point in time. But when you put them up against Donald Trump, it's no contest. It's no comparison. There's, there's nobody out there that is so pissed. There's no Democrat out there that is so pissed or so disenfranchised that they're willing to say, oh, you know what? I'll give Trump a second chance. Like that unicorn doesn't exist. It's just not a thing. It's not a real thing. Okay, really important points to understand that whole idea of negative partisanship. I'm going to use that now as a segue to start talking about what's happening in the Hispanic community. Okay, real quick break here. Jump in the queue with your guys' questions on anything that I've said to this point or any other polling data that you're looking at. I spent a long time. I was on the plane for five hours today looking at polling data, trying to get caught up with this stuff. Again, five polls coming out. Uh, in a day is 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 kind of when I start uh, to get excited about this stuff because as you guys know I live for this stuff, but um, we are in the uh, point we're within about a hundred days now before the midterm elections, which means we're going to start having a lot of daily polls and polling coming out. Um, so there's going to be a lot of uh, I'm going to use this format too. I think a lot of you guys have had a, a much better response to this, which is me just kind of topic, talking a little bit more about the topics of the day than bringing on uh, guests, unless there's a special case. And I'm going to leave that to you guys because I wanted to use this app to to be more uh, engaged and answer your guys' questions. A lot of you guys were following me during the Lincoln Project, and and I think found some some uh, comfort or understanding by being able to both ask questions and have me kind of go on and explain things as I was seeing them. That's the whole point of being here. So this is the place for that to happen. If you've got topics, questions, ideas, bring them to me. I'm going to, before we get to the Hispanic stuff, before we get to the Latin apocalypse, I'm going to go to the uh, uh, couple people in the queue and start taking some questions. Um, but don't, don't, don't leave until we get to that stuff. Cause there's some really phenomenal, fascinating stuff there. So we've got a regular caller, uh, JMS, regular questioner. Go ahead and unmute. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for taking my question. Sure. Um, thanks, for, thanks for being around. You, no, I appreciate this. I try and make it every week, and when that doesn't allow, I have listened to the recorded version. I don't know if you let people know, but there is a recorded version that you can play back if you don't make it. It's- <clears throat> Thanks so, for that. Yeah, I do. I, real, real quick. Yeah, I do. I do push this out after I do some quick editing, and usually within about a half an hour after we're done, I can put it out. And you can listen to the recordings of either this one if you missed something and wanted to hear it again, or go back to previous episodes to to get a, a deeper uh, understanding of what what we're talking about. It's but go ahead with the feature. question. Thanks. Thanks for that. How do you think the row? versus Wade impacted the reduction of the senior vote because I've been to a couple of the pro-choice rallies as a result of the vote. And I, and I'll be very frank, senior women are pissed. They are pissed. Yeah. Can I use pissed on here? I'm using it. They're you pissed. sure can. Yeah. It's a family, it's <laughs> a family way, show. But yeah. yeah. By, by the way, most of those attendees at the rallies are young women, senior women, and LGBTQ population. So 
that I also found the demographics of those rallies very interesting. And maybe you can kind of talk to that and see if sure. that's impacting um, the season. Yeah. And, my, and I'll hold off on the second question until you answer the first. I think that's a really good uh, observation, by the way. Uh, and it, as most of you guys know, I, anecdotal evidence is, is a data point. I think it's fun to add some color. But I think in this case, what's being pointed out is exactly right, okay? So young women, 18 to 25-year-olds, by the way, for the past 30 years, has been the primary motivating tool that Democrats use. When they were talking about a woman's rights to choose – Overwhelmingly, what they're doing is, or a war, the Republican war on women that you have heard for decades. Overwhelmingly, what Democrats are trying to do is get women, young voters, to the polls with that message. That's why they use it. That's why they say it. And the reason I know that quantifiably is because married women over the age of 30 or even over 25 start to skew much more Republican. Women, again, those of you that have followed me and have heard my talks before, women have a much more fluid uh, politicization process than men. When men decide they're either a Republican or Democrat at 18, 19, or 20, they stay that way for 40 years. They stay that way the rest of their lives. There's very little movement. Women shift and change their political persuasions through the different courses of their life, which gets me to the point you brought up, which is the senior vote. There is no question that women, especially those women who were alive or have memories of a pre-Roe world, are extremely motivated by this issue and extremely animated by the dynamics that are happening in the world today. No question. No question about that. They remember that. Now, having said that, most of those women that are, as, are animated by that issue I don't want to say they're reanimated. I would suggest they've been animated. That, that this Again, I'm not saying 100%. Of course there are some people who have been maybe voting Republican who are like, you know what, forget it. I remember that was like what, what, what the pre-Row world was like, and I'm never going to vote for a Republican again, or I'm certainly not going to this cycle. I believe that. I do believe that. But when we're talking about a 16-point swing – I can't tell you how significant that is. The only thing more significant is Hispanic numbers disapproving of Biden at 70%, which we're going to get into in a second because that's like a whole different world, okay? 30 years I've been doing this. I've never seen anything close to that. But having said that, I am convinced that it is this. there's a Petri dish of GOP extremism that is moving people of most persuasions, Hispanics, of course, being the obvious exception, towards the Democratic Party. But I'm also more convinced that the January 6th hearings are having as deep or a, 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 a more or a deeper impact with this demographic than even Roe is. I could be wrong. I haven't looked at the crosstabs. I want to see a little bit more shift. Again, this is the first time we're seeing it from May. Um, we'll start to get a little bit more data over the course of the next few weeks. And I'll be able to, I think, answer that question a little bit better. But I do have to say, I think your observations are 100% correct on the triumvirate of demography that are the most motivated to get a sign, to go out to a rally and publicly say, this is bullshit, I've had enough. Senior women, 18 to 25-year-old women, LGBTQ, because they know that their rights are on the chopping block next. You got another question? We have another question? 
Okay, I'm going to go to the next caller then. If Jump back into the queue if I missed you. Julio, what kind of question you got for me? It's okay, Mike. Um, actually, I think I, I came in a little early. Um, I didn't have a question so much as, well, I guess the question I really had was what is the what exactly is the Latino apocalypse and how does that break down? You said you go over that. I'm curious because, you know, I'm Hispanic. I live in Florida. A huge amount of my family lives here. And I actually went and saw them recently. So I was with my family, and uh, they're pretty pissed off. So I was just curious uh, how that all breaks down with you. Yeah, tell me. Pissed off about what, Julio? What are they pissed at? Um, I I think they're just really unhappy with being treated like second-class citizens. Um, they haven't been getting really much from any party. And there's the number two, the two things that I hear them complaining about the most is easily, you know, the economy, cost of living, gas, and stuff like that. And then the second biggest issue, the single thing is probably the biggest issue, but got pushed to the back because the economy is doing so bad uh-huh. is um, the cost of living. Housing. Yeah. It's yeah. the worst in Miami. It's the worst there, like in the whole country. And there it's, it's just devastating everyone. Yeah. So a Cuban family, Julio, Cuban American. Uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, they're, okay. Yes. Yeah, they're Cuban. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing that the polling is also showing. By a wide margin, what Julio just said is 100% correct on the minds of Latinos that are sampled. Okay, it's inflation overwhelmingly is the top issue. And then cost of living closely correlated is second to that. So it's economic issues. Again, anybody who's been listening to me, been saying this for a long time, uh, economic issues, pocketbook issues are what drive the Hispanic electorate. And also, what I think what Julio is saying, and jump in and correct me if I'm wrong, there's, there's this feeling that the Democratic Party has neglected those issues. They don't feel that the Democratic Party is speaking to you or addressing those issues. Now, this is... I want to say... Yeah. Can I jump in real quick, Mike? Yeah, yeah I yes, think sir. A big part of, yeah. I don't know if you were familiar, Mike, but there was actually a big... Uh, there was a protest throughout the country, uh, the Dia Sin Immigrantes, in the February 14th, the Day Without Immigrants. Uh-huh. And what I saw, I saw people protesting out in front of the White House and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. one of the big issues, I think, that's the problem with the Democrats, uh, at least by uh, Hispanics in this country, is they have seen no gains uh, with uh, in the immigration uh, mm-hmm. since Obama. They have seen nothing. Um, and the few things Obama did do uh, seem to have been rolled back. And then you have somebody like Kamala Harris going down to the border saying, don't come. They're not allowing for asylum seekers, which a lot of these Cubans in Miami, asylum seekers are not allowing them to seek asylum against international law. So I think they feel completely left out by the Democrats on the issue of immigration. And then the mm-hmm. real issues that affect their day to day are that housing and cost of living. And those aren't being addressed by anyone. So, look, I, I think that's absolutely right. Um, I, I will say that, you know, look, um, the last time the country did something on immigration, was the Immigration Reform and Control Act of 1986. Okay, it's ni- in 1986. It was that long ago. Uh, many of you know I worked for George W. Bush on the campaign. The idea in the year 2000, uh, going into 2001, was that we were going to get comprehensive immigration reform done proactively. You had a very uh, pro-Latino governor, Republican governor, Texas governor, 
Um, and, and I was a starry-eyed kid at this time. I was a few years into my career, and we were going to do really remarkable things, remake a, the pluralistic democracy that is America, and Republicans were going to lead the way. Unfortunately, what happens is 9-11 comes, and the whole country turns inward, especially the Republican Party. So you're accurate that Barack Obama didn't do much, anything, because he can't, he can't without Congress. But neither did George W. Bush, neither did Bill Clinton, neither did George H.W. Bush, neither did Donald Trump, right? Nobody in either party has done anything. And I'd love to talk about this topic a little bit more in great detail because I've spent a big part of my career working on it. But for purposes of what we're going to say right now, it's, it's this. Immigration is not a top five issue for Hispanics. It really never has been. It's an important cultural issue, but pocketbooks or po- pocketbook issues have always been the top issue for the Latino community. And in this regard, Hispanics are feeling the economic pain as much or more than most demographics. Now, there's another component to this, too. As I, as I said, uh, I think either last episode or two episodes before, Gen Z the youngest voting group, these 18 to 25-year-olds, they really, really, really don't like Joe Biden. And newsflash to folks out there, Gen Z is basically a Latino generation, okay? It's the largest Latino generation in the history of this country. It's a non-white generation. So there's a correlation there, okay? And one of the things that really, it it doesn't just frustrate me, it, it offends me. When people on Twitter are like, well, if you guys want your family still in cages or family separated at the border, um, you know, how, how can you possibly vote for somebody or a party that, you know, doesn't want to let your people in? It's like, well, I mean, yeah, I get that. But how dare you like think that other issues aren't the priority? Like, how dare you stereotype the community to such a degree that you think that that's what I'm worried about? I'm third generation. I'm not worried about immigration any more than somebody here who's, who's from Western Europe, third, third, uh, uh, you know, uh, generation immigrant. Hey, so, hey, Mike, can I, yeah. can I push yeah. back just a tiny, tiny bit? Yeah. So I'll push back first of first on the first thing you said about immigration um, while I don't think that it's uh, figures into people's economic thinking as much government, I think that immigration is salient in the lives of Hispanics. Like, for instance, people like me, I have a master's degree. I work at a university in a major scientific department. I have uh, PhDs uh, in my department who can't get through the immigration system coming mm-hmm. from uh, places in Central and South America. I have family members who are being held up. Uh, I know people, so it is an issue that touches us. So I just wanted to push back a little bit on that. Yeah. And I wanted to say that well, for real me, quick. I'm yeah, a, go ahead. A, yeah, I was just going to say for me, I'm an educated Hispanic. I have a graduate degree. Um, and my, uh, my number one issue uh, is basically what's going on with the economy, but also with how people are being treated. It doesn't seem like I'm able to enjoy my middle class lifestyle when I've got starving people down the street homeless and hungry people on every corner begging for money. Uh, people mm-hmm. are, students are dropping out of college at record rates. Uh, we're seeing huge uh, increases in the diseases of despair. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just feels like the whole country is so completely and totally unhealthy that I'm actually consider le- considering leaving the country mm-hmm. um, to go back to Central South America or 
because this it, as this it just doesn't feel safe. I got attacked recently in my neighborhood yeah. by a uh, by a guy. Uh, he's one of the biggest Republicans in the neighborhood. Uh, it was a basic run in. It didn't it didn't have to do that. But it, he basically attacked me. The last thing he said to me was, I don't like the way you look. And so I went home and I re-registered to the Republican Party, not because I like the Republicans or because I would ever vote Republican, but because if these people are going to go door to door, I don't feel safe in my neighborhood anymore. And I make yeah. a good salary and live in a good neighborhood and in, in the heart of Florida. And it's life here is becoming like really difficult. And this is what I hear from a lot of the working class Hispanic people that I talk with as well. Yeah, and the, oh, let's uh, let me let me address that, and then we'll kind of wrap up. Um, to the, and uh, look, I think that's exactly right. And again, I don't think that's Hispanic specific. It's how you get to seventy five percent of people feel that the country is headed in the wrong direction. Like it, it's all you have to do is open your eyes and recognize that things are difficult right now, uh, extraordinarily, perhaps more so than most of our uh, in most of our adult lives. Looking at where not just the country's at, but where the world is at, where our states are at, where our, where our neighborhoods are at. Um, and I, I don't want to diminish, and I know that the pushback was small, but to ha- when you're talking about Latinos, especially in the, in graduate programs, you're talking about an extraordinarily small percentage of our community. So place I've got, th- th- that is not the experience of a significant measurable part of our community. So I don't want to diminish it, but I do want to put it in perspective. Okay. It is very important. The student debt issue is. When, when you talk about undergraduate and people who dropped out of college. Yeah, but I'm talking about you know, immigrants, too, from other groups. As you're talking about the immigrant experience is what you're talking about, right? These, that issue, especially migrants coming for graduate or Ph.D. work, is extraordinarily small in the Latino community. Not, I don't mean to diminish it. But we're talking about very, very, very small numbers. Okay. But having said that, JMS, I'm going to pull you up. Julio, thank you so much for joining the call. I really appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. Thank you. JMS, Thanks, I'm sorry. Mike. Second question. I apologize for that. That's okay. Here. I had some kind of a technical issue on my end. This is an, this is an off topic. So if you want me to revisit this, at no, the let's hear it. Show, that's fine. No, okay. I appreciate that. So yeah. I'm in biotech and I, like mm-hmm. you, thrive on data. Mm-hmm. And one of the data points that I've seen is that the death toll associated with COVID in Republican counties is off the charts and continues to escalate um, for yep. a variety of reasons, which we won't go into. And I always remember when you were on the Lincoln Project, I don't know if it was you or Rick Wilson said that basically we're nibbling at the edges trying to you know, get move people away from Trump. Right. Do you think these COVID deaths will have an impact yeah. on the number of Republicans? Only, it, not so much, obviously, dead people are not able to vote, but just seeing the suffering and the impact that COVID has taken on some of these poor communities that have suffered so much? Yeah, look, this is a really good question. And actually, we would get this question uh, while I was you know, doing the work on the Lincoln Project and while we were trying to figure out which um, which states, which precincts, which counties we should be putting most of our spend to get to that ban in line number, if any of you guys remember us using that term. The yeah. question that you're really asking is, have enough people, have the deaths as a result of COVID been measurable enough to affect the upcoming elections? And it's a good question. 
the short answer is um, no, and here's why. Turnout as a factor is far more important than deaths. Of course, any death matters. You take people off of the voting rolls. But the differential between the number of people that voted in 2020, for example, versus who are going to vote in 2022 is going to be a factor of in many, many millions. Okay. And, and I, I think we've hit a, a, about a million deaths with COVID, right? To this point, a little bit over 1.1, something like that. Oh, yeah. Huge yeah. loss, huge loss of life. But. We're probably going to see 25 or 30 million less Americans vote in this election cycle than we saw two years ago in the presidential general election. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, so so, so that, that does not mean that there aren't going to be some areas where there might be an older population or maybe a more... Uh, Latino or African-American population that were disproportionately affected, where in some way, shape or form, it could affect the outcomes in a very close race. But I, I really don't think from a data, a global data perspective, that there have been enough measurable deaths to offset the extraordinary uh, drop in voters that come through a normal midterm cycle. Fair okay. enough. Even though it was predominantly in Republican counties. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's helpful. Thank you. You bet. Thanks for the question. It's a great question. Josh, I'm going to pull you up. Go ahead and unmute, Josh. Josh, I'm sorry. I lost you there in the queue earlier. I appreciate you having some patience and jumping back in. Oh, I have a lot of patience with you, Mike. I actually talked to you last week from the UK. I'm talking now from Portugal. Oh. This is a third time I've ever talked to you live since you were in the Lincoln Project. So um, Okay, well, yeah. look, yeah, we're on a roll here. <laughs> yeah, big fan. I, I love what you fucking do, man. But uh, Thank you. I, I actually have two questions. Is that okay? Yeah, let's hear them. Well, okay, so my first one um, is this, this the, the notion that Democrats are losing their base, and I'm not denying that it's – I, I'm just sort of curious about one thing. So like one, of the, one, of the, one of the cruxes of the Democratic base is black Americans and mm -hmm. mainly black women. And yep. you know, the reason why Biden won the primary. And so yep. when, when, when people, and not just you, but people talk about, oh, Democrats losing their base, and that base is multifaceted. There's lots of, there's just many factions to that base. Like, and I understand that the, the Hispanic community, it, there's a lot of heter, heterogeneity in that community. Like, who, when you when you say something like they're losing, Democrats are losing their base, like, who are you talking about? Yeah, that's a great question. So let me try to answer that a little bit. Let me first start by saying you're correct, Josh. The most traditional, reliable voting demographic for the Democratic Party since the mid-1960s has been African-American women. And I'm talking to the, the, the tune of 90% plus. Okay, yes. there, are, there are Republican African-American women, but not many. Okay, Which is the uh, most conservative of that base. By the way, well, and that tells us something else. That's a really great point. That's true. This is the the faith based community. The spiritual backbone of the African American community is through its women, and they are the most uh, culturally and socially conservative. 
But what that really does tell you is how impactful race is and gender is in America. When, when African-American women are saying, despite, you know, my worldview, I have to live in an America and politically the champions for me are the Democratic Party because I am a woman and I am a black woman. I think that's something that America should be listening more to. Okay, but let me get to the math because that's an important point you break up. African-Americans represent about 11 percent of the electorate. Okay, and and so when we say base, again, 90 percent of this vote, 85 plus of of African-Americans generally, 90 percent of African-American women of that 11 percent are going towards the Democrats, Democratic base vote. It's also a very concentrated vote because we remain a very segregated country. African Americans tend to live in African American communities. We don't. That's changed a, a, a you know a lot, but not nearly enough over the years. But by and large, you know, African Americans live uh, in African American neighborhoods. At least that's where the vote is concentrated. So, but what that means is, it's not enough to affect the outcomes of most states' primary elections. Are there exceptions? Yes. Mississippi is a big exception. North Carolina is as an exception. A lot of southern states, the African American vote is absolutely critical. You pointed out it was it was uh, South Carolina, the South Carolina primary on Super Tuesday that saved Joe Biden, right? But Bernie yeah, was going to win primaries. Exactly right. So so in there are certain select states where the African American vote dominates the Democratic primary and can choose the electorate, but. Something else happened in 2020. For the first time in American history, what happened was Hispanics surpassed blacks as the second largest ethnic voting bloc in America behind whites. There are now more Hispanic voters than African-American voters. Okay, And that base vote of Hispanic voters, when I say base, up until the 2020 election cycle, Hispanic voters voted 75-25 for the Democrats. Biden came in at 59%. It's now 60-40. That's a massive shift. So when I say the Democrats are losing their base, you're seeing a 15-point movement in voters that they should, quote-unquote, be able to take for granted. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I mean that in an electoral math way. There's some, that, so when I say the Democrats are losing their base, th- this, is, this is like your savings account at home. It's not your daily cash flow or the money you get on payday that you spend and pay your bills out of. Like This is your savings account. This is your base. This is the money you can't dig into. This is the stuff you got to have, right? That's the vote that is really, really problematic for the Democratic Party right now, and it's not a slow bleed. It's significant. Now, one caveat I'm going to put on that, and we're going to get to your second question, Josh, and I know, Jenny, uh, you're you're in the queue. So what what was I going to – I was going to – I was talking about, I'm sorry, Hispanic voters. Oh, um. Josh, I, I lost my point, and it was a good one. I, think, I was about I think to. You're, I think you're. You're. I think you're going toward like exactly why 
the Democrats are losing Hispanic voters. Okay, well, let me yeah, let, you, you let may, me speak. That I was un, that I was hitherto unaware of about like twenty twenty yeah. math. Yeah. Well, let me show this. Let me let me say this. Here's where I think I was going to go. Biden's okay. approval rating in the Quinnipiac poll today, very reputable poll, by the way. One yeah, of the this, one. This brings me to my next question, by the way. So it's a good segue. Okay, so Quinnipiac is a very reputable poll. They do have a very small sample of Hispanics. It's way too small to get an accurate reflection. But even if it's plus or minus 10 points, which it's not, but let's just say that it is, even if there's a huge variance, the fact that Biden's approval ratings are are at negative approvals are at 70%, I have never, ever, ever, ever seen that before. Like there's something terribly wrong, okay? Now, having, having said that, as I said at the beginning of the show, Negative partisanship matters because in the same poll, the Republicans are only winning by two points on the generic ballot. Okay? So even though he's upside down 50 points or whatever, he's up some crazy number. He's at 19% approval with Hispanics, 70% disapprove. When you ask Hispanics how they're going to vote in the House... It's only a plus two Republicans. It comes right back, not as good as the the Democrats need, but it comes back to a 50-50 split. And that's why, even with these huge negatives, the Democrats are still in contention at a time when they should not be with all of the other indicators. Now, look, if history is a guide... And I believe that it is. I believe in data and trends. It's not always right, but you know, you got to look at at the historical trend line. It's an important data point. Republicans probably pick up twenty seats in the House. Okay, that's just what history tells us. Is that a guarantee? No, no, it's not. The Democrats are extremely competitive at this point in time. Biden is their biggest lag. And I'm going to say one quick thing on this, Josh, and then I'm going to jump over to Jenny, if that's okay. If you've got another question, feel free to jump back into the queue. And that is this. There's one thing that I am not seeing, which is shocking to me. I'm not seeing any ads or any messaging coming from the Republicans calling specific Democrats Biden Democrats. You probably saw this. Republicans used to say Obama Democrats. They would tie Obama and it would pull the Democrats down. And then the the Democrats did that to Trump in 2018. These guys, you know, this is a MAGA Republican and it would pull them down. The voters are telling us in the polling that they are making a distinction between Joe Biden and the average Democrat. And it's not just the public polling, it's the Democrats polling, and it's also the Republicans internal polling. How do I know that? Because they're not doing it, which tells me, I I mean, again, I've obviously been doing this for 30 years. It means that everybody's polling is saying the same thing, and nobody is drawing that connection. The split between the generic average Democrat and Joe Biden is very real. There is something specific about Joe Biden that voters don't like, that they're not connecting with, but it's yeah. not it's not moving I, voters over to the Republican column. It just means they're not excited about him, and the biggest fear Democrats are going to have is whether or not their people show up to vote in November. So, right on, Mike. I, I'm going to let you take the next caller, but that you... You touched on my second 
specific but more or less generic question to ask about what you just said. I'm going to let the next caller uh, okay. ask. Jump back in the queue. Yeah, jump back in the queue. Call back. All right, cool, Josh. I appreciate right, your buddy. patience, brother. Thank you, man. Great questions. Yeah, man. Jenny, go ahead and unmute in the lower right there. We'll see what you've got and see if I can hopefully ask you a question. Oh, I brought you up as a speaker, but you can still go ahead and speak. Hey, Mike. It's been a great conversation. I'm glad. I'm, I hope it's helpful. Yeah, I don't really follow the polls, but my best friend is Hispanic. Okay. Half Native American and half uh, Latino. And okay. For 30 years, you know, we've just been the best of friends. She has seven children and I have five. And we've just kind of raised our kids together and now they're all adults. And I know for her, you know, and she when we met, she was just diehard Democrat, leftist, all all in progressive, and I'm a little bit more conservative. And so um, it's just been interesting to watch her evolution. And right now, today, her biggest concern, of course, is the economy. And all of her kids are kind of, you know, self-starters, started their own businesses, and are just working really hard to make their lives work. And, and the economy is the big issue. And I think on some level, just talking to her, she's actually quite embarrassed by some of the gaffes mm-hmm. around the Biden administration. And it just appears like it's just kind of a clown show on several different fronts. Mm-hmm. And so she doesn't want to be affiliated with him or vote for him again. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's just kind of like one story. But I really think the writing's on the wall with the Latino community with these recent elections in South Te- Texas. You know, this Myra. Uh, I can't think of her last name. Flores. Yeah. Yeah. Myra Flores. You know, mm-hmm. she's a really strong candidate. And a, a lot of uh, white people voted for her. I mean, it's not a race thing. They like her policies. And so I just ha- wondered if you had any thoughts on those elections and what, what sort of indication they would give towards uh, where we're headed with, with our beloved Latino community. Yeah, Jenny, uh, great, great questions. Um, let me say this. I Look, the writing has been on the wall for, for decades. At least that's my own biased opinion because I've been saying it for decades. And now that it's actually happening, uh, you know, people are kind of caught flat-footed going, wait, what's going on? What's going on? It's like, well, I mean, I've been, I've been saying this for, for a long time. Now, again, I was saying it as, as a Republican, you know, as a George W. Bush, you know, John McCain Republican. And of course, I worked against Donald Trump because I simply couldn't handle the, the overt racism and I didn't want to be affiliated with, with him or a party that would embrace him. Um, and again, the, the, what you're explaining is, is, is textbook, right? She's concerned about the economy. She's concerned about these economic issues. She's trying to raise a family and trying to stretch dollars to make ends meet. And at the same time, she's not connecting with this politician. So there's this negative partisanship that comes up. It's voting against something as opposed to voting for something. So in many ways, you're providing a perfect antidote to what I'm trying to explain here. And that's largely what I think is driving much of these numbers in the Hispanic community. Now, having said that, I do not believe for one second that the Republicans are going to get 70% of the Hispanic vote. That's just not going to happen. Okay. Could they split 50-50? Yeah, they could. They could. And that would be a tectonic, tectonic shift in American politics. But what I will also say is this, if we do see that significant of a shift of Hispanics away from the Democrats, and notice I used that language very specifically, I didn't say to the Republicans, I'm saying away from the Democrats, because 
They're two very different things. And that's a lot of what I think is happening is it's not a pull towards the Republicans. It's a push away from the Democrats. I do believe you're going to see an equal shift away from the Republicans with this continued erosion with college-educated voters, and now it would appear erosion with senior citizens towards the Democratic Party, or at least away from the Republicans in the Democrats' direction. And that was one of the points I wanted you all to bring me back to, which is that's base vote for the Republicans. They're losing that as as fast, at least in terms of raw numbers, not maybe not percentages, but in terms of actual voters, the Republicans are losing that vote as fast as they are gaining Hispanic voters from what traditionally should be Democratic base vote. I hope that's a good answer, Jenny. That's kind of uh, that's what I got in terms of a response to what you're bringing up. Well, I very comfortably voted for President Trump because I liked his economic policies. Uh-huh. And I really felt like he he did some significant things with uh, the changes, especially around the, um, you know, oh, I can't think of the word, tariffs, you know, and the... Yeah, the more protectionist, protectionist economic policies. Yeah, that's yeah. the term. Yeah. And so I was all in with that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I feel like COVID showed up and kind of messed with all of us in many different ways that we're probably going to be feeling for a long time. But I could very comfortably vote for President Trump again, because I do feel like President Biden's economic policies have just really messed with people. Yeah. And for me, at the end of the day, it, it is that bread and, bread and butter, you know, I don't have as much money in my pocket. And I really just want common sense. It yeah. feels like there's no common sense around money issues. And the debt well, me, is so bad. Yeah. Well, let me address some of this because, I mean, you're bringing up some really important points. And, and again, as a Republican and as a conservative, um, what drew me to the Republican Party initially was conservative policies. Tariffs are taxes, by the way. Okay? I've spent 30 years of my career opposing taxes, and Donald Trump comes in and starts raising taxes. By the way, it's not just a tax. It's an inflationary tax, okay? The most important thing that Biden could do quickly and easily is get rid of Donald Trump's taxes and bring prices down on goods. That was a horrible, horrible policy that Donald Trump implemented. It was one of the worst things he could have possibly done. And we've got Republicans who think that somehow this is good. Protectionist economic policies have never, ever, ever worked Historically, it leads to inflation, which we're dealing right with right now. It upsets the balance of goods and trade and gives us a trade deficit, which exploded under Donald Trump. And the debt, what you know, he created more debt than all of the other previous presidents in our entire history combined. So I'm going to have to end. uh, You can push back, but Jenny, I'm going to have to end because that's just. That's just basic common sense and common policy. I appreciate your call, but thanks. But you're not you're not acknowledging the role of. Hey, Josh, hey, you're, you're back you, up. You're hey, back uh, up, Josh. Thank you, for, thank you for saying that. What you just said about the tariffs to the last caller. Yeah, it's and, just uh, it's nonsense. I mean, yeah, it's a tax. It, it, tariffs it, are taxes. It, it, I've been a liberal Democrat all my life. I lean. I'm like center left or whatever, but. 
Uh, that, that's just fucking facts. Thanks for saying that. I hope a lot of people have heard that. Anyway, um, my question is this. Is, is that, so I, I'm, I'm completely convinced by what you said. And what I, I think I've heard other people allude to, that it's a negative election, elect, a negative electorate situation. I find that fascinating. And uh, like, despite Biden's horrible polling right now, that I don't think that matters for the midterms. Now, my, but my question is, is it is about Biden's polling. And I, what I want to ask you, Mike, your, the personal, your, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Your personal opinion is that, you know, I, I don't, and like, I know Democrats and, and, you know, Bernie bros and fuckheads like that. And I'm just like, I, I don't understand why his polling is that low. I mean, I can, I can kind of understand inflation. You know, like, I think he did a kick-ass job, like, with a rescue act that was brilliant. Infrastructure, brilliant. Um, you know, and, and, okay, Afghanistan, okay, maybe a bit wonky, but, like, or maybe worse than wonky, but, like, you know, you know, Donald Trump, to me, engineered that whole fucking thing. I'm not going to go into that, but he did. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I just, I, to me, the polling, it, it just baffles me that it's that low. I, I, don't, I don't understand why people feel that way toward him. I, I find that he's at yeah. least the president. I, 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 I just don't get it. I well, look. Yeah, approval ratings, approval ratings are always a function or almost always a function of the economy. And, and, you know, we, we can, we can debate again, policy, what worked, what didn't work, uh, what is working, what's not working. But if, if people are not feeling good or confident about the direction of the economy, or as Julio pointed out, either their, their quality of life, if they're seeing deterioration, that brings up those wrong direction numbers. Okay, and and here's the other part about politics, whether you like it or not, whoever is holding office when things are going bad, you're going to get blamed. The last thing voters want to hear is, oh, that was the previous guy's problem, right? Like that was Donald Trump's M.O. The guy never took obvious blame. Yeah, but it went, it went, it went lower by like a point or two than Donald Trump. And Donald Trump was... A fucking gigantic. Yeah. All right. Easy. Easy. Okay, Josh. Yeah, he's, let's, let's try. We're trying to keep the conversation. We're trying to keep the conversation Sorry, substantive here and answer some real questions. But let me just say this: what 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 is clear is that voters don't want excuses. Okay, they they hired you to not say it was the other guy's fault. They hired you to fix it, regardless of whatever the problems are. And both the both not only this president but but that's what Donald Trump's problem was. And look, let me be really clear. If Donald Trump had just said wear a mask like basic 6th grade science, he would have won re-election. He would I'm telling you it's a guy who spent 30 million dollars moving the Republican voters we needed to and put the nail in the guy's political coffin. If he would have just said wear a mask people Let's let's orga- let's rally as a country and take care of each other. He would have won overwhelmingly. 
Like he, he, he destroyed his own career because, because he's Donald Trump. And if we hadn't yeah. had that, that wouldn't have happened. My point is this at a certain point, uh, the voters don't want excuses. They want the problem solved. And if you're not able to solve it, they will punish you at the polls. Okay. Mm. All right. Appreciate the question, Josh. Uh, if there's any other questions, go ahead and jump up into the queue. We're heading uh, already here at the six o'clock hour. Great group today. Great, great talk. Mike, thank you yeah. so much, man. Yeah, thank always. You, Josh, I appreciate your calls. I appreciate your questions, Josh. Take it easy in Portugal. Um, I th- uh, the um is hold on one quick second technical uh, issue here. Uh, if there's any other questions, let me kind of run through the queue right now. So if there's any other questions that people want to jump up and ask questions on or put them in um, into the, the written queue there uh, with, with the quotations there on the right-hand side, you can type in your questions if you've got them. Um, JCAP is asking what percentage of Gen Z is represented by Latinos? What percentage uh, for millennials? That's a great question. I don't know, but what I will say is uh, millennials, I believe, are going to be the first, or I'm sorry, Gen Z will be the first American generation that will be a um, minority majority, meaning that whites will still constitute a plurality. But if you look at the combination of African Americans, Latinos, and Asian Pacific Islanders, along with everybody else from throughout the world, those numbers combined uh, will keep that white share under the 50% margin. And in fact, by the end of most of our lifetimes, don't know if I'm going to make it or not, uh, America will be a um, a white plurality nation. There will be no uh, 50% um, white majority anymore. And that's the truth of the matter is that's why we are struggling with so many of the social challenges that we have today spent a long time today. Again, I mentioned that I was flying from the East coast back home to California and uh, listening to this great podcast while I was going over polling numbers, um, talking about, uh, the, the rise of, of white nationalism and, and white supremacy largely in a, as a response to white Americans feeling under attack, under a threat as they shrink to minority status it's not atypical of any population undergoing those types of um, 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 changing uh, demographic patterns. So what we are experiencing, while extremely tumultuous and extremely socially disruptive, is actually quite predictable. And I'm not going to suggest it's going to get easier in the short term because I think uh, the next two to six years, you've heard me say this uh, often, tweet it kind of regularly, the next two to six years are going to be extremely challenging years for our American nation. Having said that, I'm very confident that we are going to emerge from this a stronger, better, more pluralistic country with some of that national character that we have unfortunately lost over the course of the past few years. Um, great people like great nations emerge from struggle. Think about that in your own personal life. Countries are the exact same way. And look at that as we are struggling through everything going on right now. Know that it is making us a better, stronger people. I really, really do believe that. Uh, another comment from Laren P. I have a theory that Hispanic voters 
have a long history of elections in their families, countries where the new president comes out swinging when there's a change in the presidency. Joe Biden did or not do any strong swinging. Maybe, maybe not, but let me just say this. The vast majority, and I'm going to dispel some stereotypes here, the vast majority of us Hispanics didn't come from another country. This is my country. This was my parents' country. My grandparents immigrated here, and the fastest-growing segment of the electorate are from the U.S. born. So I know that there's been a media narrative. I know there's a stereotype that everybody wants to believe that we're all immigrants. And we talk about the number one issue we worry about is immigration or that we're all field workers or that we're trying to get driver's licenses because we're all undocumented. Folks, the vast, vast majority of Hispanic voters are not only born in the United States, but we are also English exclusive, not just English dominant. A lot of lot of Hispanics don't speak any Spanish at all. Okay, so there's a lot of a lot of stereotypes that we try to impose. Hispanics are all Catholic. They're all conservative. They're all immigrants. They're all you know hardworking entrepreneurs. There's all these things that, of course, there's some elements of truth to it. But the vast majority of Hispanic voters in this country are not immigrants. They are not Spanish speakers. They are second, third generation. They are increasingly college educated as they are here longer generationally, have very high interracial marriage rates, and are English dominant or English exclusive in many cases. Um, Brenda, you're in the queue. Go ahead and unmute and we'll take your question. The lower right, there's that little microphone-looking thing. Brenda, you're going to have to unmute the microphone. There, there. you go. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry, Mike. Going back to what you said earlier about tariffs Yeah. and if Biden would um, just get rid of the tariffs that Trump imposed, uh-huh. that that would help uh, inflation. Uh-huh. Why? Are, I'm, I'm curious. Do you have an idea why he is not doing that? I have no idea. I think it's the, it's the easiest, quickest, fastest thing he could do that would be the most popular thing because you start to put money right back in the hands of consumers. Mm-hmm. Like it's a tax cut. That's one of the most frustrating things about – look, there were a lot of frustrating things as a Republican and, and how all these people, Republicans, bought into this Trump nonsense. But the, 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 one of the most foundational basic things – about being a Republican is we don't like taxes. It's the one thing that we all agreed on. It's like no taxes, right? George Herbert Walker Bush loses. And here this guy goes out and raises tariffs. A tariff is a tax, right? And and nobody calls them on it because the the cult following just got too big. But it is the easiest way to bring down the price of consumer goods, which, which reduces inflation. That in itself is 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 anti-inflationary, right? Cut taxes, cut the price of goods, ease up the burden on people's pocketbooks, and let's start getting back to a free market philosophy again. I mean, that's that used to be Republican orthodoxy. I mean, I don't know what Republican orthodoxy is anymore, but tariffs are the easiest thing you can do is to get rid of them. It's a tax. And I can't for the life of me understand why the Biden administration hasn't done that. You have to presume that there's some sort of a foreign policy reason or some trade reason. But I would think domestically it would be popular because, one, you're cutting taxes, two, you're cutting prices, and three, even if it's not on those goods, you're putting more dollars in the pocketbooks of Americans at a time when they're being stretched thin. So I I don't get it. I don't understand it. 
Okay, thanks. I appreciate that. I was just that really struck me when you ta- when you said that, and I yeah. I just wanted to ask that question. Yeah, thanks for asking the question. I hope it clarified it a little bit, Brenda. Oh, I'm learning tons from this podcast. Okay, great. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay. Bye bye. So let me kind of run through a little bit more here. Uh, some other questions. Um, there was one about uh, from Catherine asking, you always hint at the female trends and the changes. You should do a whole show on it because I've never heard the whole story on that. Um, love to do that. Maybe that's what we do next week. I'd be more than happy to um, to touch bases on the female vote. Sometimes we get a little bit... Um, a little bit hesitant to do that um, because there, are, um, because I'm not a woman. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be really candid. Uh, you know, at a time when I've been studying Hispanic voters for 30 years and and have been Hispanic all my life, uh, and, and been working with Republican voters, I could talk very knowledgeably about that because I've been working with Republican voters for 30 years. Um, of course, I have done a ton of work uh, on the female vote because it's been a critical constituency in most of the campaigns that I've done. But sometimes. Um, you get kind of uh, criticized for not being a part of a demographic and speaking authoritatively. But if you guys are up for it, I'm more than happy to talk about it. In fact, um, maybe I'll bring a female pollster on to talk about some of these trends uh, or or a political professional who has worked with the female vote um, to to, um, better assess um, or check uh, some of my opinions on that because – I'm certainly not an expert in it beyond having run campaigns that way for 30 years or not. But I do find the fact that women um, do change their political positions much more so than men do um, to be a really fascinating dynamic because it makes them a more reachable, uh, more persuadable voter. One thing that I have done a ton of work on is Latinas, Latina voters, Hispanic women, um, because Hispanic um culture is a it's a very feminized culture and i've actually done a lot of research on the fact that so many women from our community are elected as representatives and um we have a very high rate of electing women to office Um, i actually wrote uh, an opinion piece that i'm going to be submitting probably to the los angeles times maybe an east coast publication uh, when when uh, Myra Flores was elected in Texas, I wrote this piece because you have kind of this extreme uh, case of a candidate who's really kind of a Marjorie Taylor Greene candidate on the right. And then you've got kind of the AOC uh, candidate on the left who kind of sets the spectrums. I think it's fascinating that it's women who are driving a lot of uh, and are oftentimes the, the, the young Latina faces of of both parties are represented in the extremes. Um, I happen to believe that Hispanics, by the way, are going to be a moderating influence in our democracy, perhaps saving it that way, because um, as a community, if you look at the polling of where we're at, it tends to be much more centrist. But my point was that we as a Hispanic community, generally Mexican-Americans specifically, elect a lot of women to public office and anybody 
who's uh, Mexicano for certain or Hispanic generally knows that this is not anomalous. This is not a thing. There's this stereotype of, of being a machismo culture and all of that stuff. It's complete horseshit. It's just complete nonsense. Uh, in fact, if you look at the California State Assembly, which has the largest number of Latinos elected uh, to any legislature in California, um, more women. There are more women than men. Um, you don't see that with whites or non-Hispanic whites, women in anywhere, in any legislature in the United States of America. You're already starting to see percentages of Hispanic women as, as members of the Hispanic electorate um, surpassing white women's numbers um, within really the last 10 years. In fact, you could argue that in the last decade, Hispanic women have advanced the representation for female um more than women have, white women have since since the time of suffrage. So as we start to see more of a Latinization of America, as we become a more Hispanic nation, I also believe you're going to see a lot more women in elected office. Uh, claro que sí, Julio. Sí, hablo español. My Mexican is Spanish. Julio is asking if I speak Spanish. I get that for a lot from Republicans. I get a lot from Cubans, by the way. There's always this question. It's not atypical, incidentally. For uh, Mexican-Americans specifically lose our language, uh, usually by the second. Sons and daughters of immigrants tend to become English-dominant. The Cuban-American diaspora tends to uh, maintain Spanish proficiency longer, uh, in large part because um, the Cuban-American community is extremely small in the United States. There's a disproportionate um, narrative around the Cuban-American experience, where largely because it's, it's a Republican constituency in a swing state. And so there's this media narrative about Cubans. Cubans represent like 5% of all Latinos uh, in America, um, incidentally. So um, just a quick, quick um, uh, um, overview of the numbers on the Hispanic electorate. Um, any other questions? That I can ask. We're, uh, we're past the six o'clock hour. I'd be more than happy to um, um, answer any other questions if anybody's got them. Otherwise, we can kind of wrap it up. Guys, thank you so much. I hope this has been a good episode of Mic Drop. I'll go ahead and edit it and put it back up and post it in probably about 20 or 30 minutes. You can download it or listen to it again. Until then, send me your thoughts, send me your ideas on topics you'd love to have explored in greater detail. I'm taking particular note on the female demographic and women voters. I think it's a particularly important time. Let me see if I can find a good guest that we can have visit with us. Um, but please join us next Wednesday, 5 o'clock Pacific time, 8 o'clock Eastern. Until then, thanks for joining Mike Drop.